Hello, and welcome to the Heart Failure Beat Healthy Living, a podcast brought to you by the Heart Failure Society of America as part of our patient-focused Heart Failure Awareness 365 campaign. I'm Laura Poco, Director of Marketing and Communications for HFSA, and I'm happy to bring you our latest episode of the podcast, where we'll be discussing the cost of heart failure treatment and medication and ways patients can understand and mitigate those costs. On the podcast, we often focus on how patients can get the best care and how they can talk to their healthcare providers about treatment options, but we don't always talk about the financial burden on patients and their families. For some, it can be quite significant and may even result in some patients skipping necessary treatments. The good news is I'm joined today by a few experts who will help us explore the topic and give some valuable advice around conversations and questions that patients and their families can ask the next time they see their healthcare providers. Our first guest is Dr. Ted Berry, a pharmacist at the University of Wisconsin, where he serves as part of the Advanced Heart Failure Team. And also with us is Dr. Midge Bowers, who has been a nurse practitioner for over 20 years at Duke University. Dr. Barry and Dr. Bowers, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks for Laura. having us, Laura. So before we get started, can you each tell us a little bit about your role on the team in treating patients? Um, Dr. Barry, let's start with you. Sure, absolutely. So as Laura mentioned, my name is Ted Barry. I'm a pharmacist at the University of Wisconsin, where I work with the advanced heart failure team treating patients with both heart failure and then those that have been transplanted or have had devices such as LVADs and other forms of mechanical support placed to kind of temporize their heart's function. So in my current role, I, I work with these various teams to help dictate drug therapy and make sure that patients are receiving optimal therapies, doses, ensure there's no drug-drug interactions, and then most importantly, and what we'll talk a little bit about today, making sure that patients have access to these medications that maybe that we were using while they were inpatient as they transition to the outpatient setting as well. Great. How about Dr. Bowers? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks, Laura. So my name's Midge Bowers, and I'm a nurse practitioner in the Heart Failure Same-Day Access Clinic at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. And in that Same-Day Access Clinic, I often receive patients from folks like Ted in the ambulatory setting who have the patients have been recently hospitalized, or maybe they need ongoing heart failure, acute care, or chronic care management. So those are the types of patients that I care for. Thank you both. It's so helpful to have that overview to understand the work that our guests are doing out there in the world to support patients as members of the team. Now, I want to start off our questions by getting down to the basics with a question for you, Dr. Bowers. What are some of the most common expenses someone will encounter as a patient living with heart failure? So when I think about patient expenses, I think about things, as I mentioned, hospitalizations, right? Often patients' first diagnosis is when they're in the hospital. And then if you look kind of at the trajectory of care, we think about medications or the diagnostic workup, and then things like devices, and even ultimately things like hospice and palliative care. No, because heart failure is a forever illness. We're trying to manage the disease across a longer period of time. So those are some of the costs that I think uh, directly to the patient. Now, they may not see that hospitalization as a big cost initially, but we're trying to keep them out of the hospital and those rehospitalizations can build up. I think we're going to spend a lot of time on this talk about medication 
expense, especially with the current clinical guidelines. That's a great point. Dr. Barry, anything to add? No, I think as uh, Dr. Bowers has mentioned, and we're going to talk a, a lot more about on this podcast, will be medication costs. There's a, a variety of, of medications that are available, thankfully, to treat patients with uh, different types of heart failure. With that said, different medications oftentimes come at different costs, whether they're a generic medication versus a newer brand name medication. And every insurance company is a little bit differently in terms of how they tier these medications as well. And we'll, we'll get a little bit more into that uh, as we go on. But medications do, especially with how often we're adjusting doses of medications in patients with heart failure, they can ultimately come at a decently high cost for patients. Thank you both for giving that rundown of those costs. And, uh, you know, it definitely, I'm sure, varies case by case. But in general, it's, it's really important that patients understand kind of that full picture of what they could be facing before they're making their decisions. And I imagine that a lot of them want to speak with their providers to just get a better understanding. And I would love to hear both of your perspectives on the types of conversations that patients should be having or could be having with their doctors, nurses, pharmacists, anyone on their team about the costs of the treatment and what kinds of questions they should ask. Dr. Bowers, let's start with you. Yeah. So I think, you know, the current clinical guidelines for managing heart failure really focus on shared decision-making. And I think Ted would agree on that, that that's such an important thing is not to make assumptions just because a patient has insurance that they're able to afford their meds, because we don't know what their household income is. We don't know what their other competing financial demands are. So really kind of opening that conversation in a gentle way and being able to say, I know it's challenging having me adding a medication or changing a dose or maybe scheduling this diagnostic test. Do you have concerns about paying for these? And just kind of opening up the dialogue and not being afraid to start with that. Because I think patients are more hesitant to start the conversation. And if we just provide a really safe place because they trust us as their providers to be able to have that dialogue and kind of open the door. Ted, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would I would totally agree. I think something that we'll often do too is as rudimentary as it may seem, talking a little bit about just an overall monthly budget and having a better understanding of exactly what odds and ends come together for our patients in terms of how they budget and, and what finances they have available for medications and doctor visits, et cetera, because these costs do start to add up rather quickly when you're living with heart failure. So that's one of the things we like to do with patients. And then early intervention with, with our social workers that are very well equipped at making sure that our patients are engaged with, if we do need financial assistance, kind of working through those crossroads or navigating that earlier on rather than as the disease is progressing and we're trying to get newer medications started. Because oftentimes there are a lot of resources that are available to patients, even with insurance as well, that can help offset the costs. Lots of institutions have specialty funding and repository programs of medications that may have not been used by other patients or at the institution as well that are maybe potentially still good to use that we would hate to have to discard um, that could be used for patients. So really it's just keeping open lines of communication and making sure that everyone's on the same page in terms of exactly what things are going to cost. And then that, that way there's no surprises when a patient receives a bill or 
goes to their their local pharmacy to pick up medications. And that sticker shock isn't isn't necessarily there. It's hopefully something that we've worked through and everyone kind of has uh, come to an agreement on. And I'm just going to add one more thing to that, if I may, Laura, because Ted highlighted a lot of really important things like the social worker and charity care or funds that might be available. And I think sometimes patients get labeled as you know non-adherent, but if you explore that with them a little bit, you find out that that non-adherence was because they couldn't afford their meds. So rather than making a judgment, you're kind of exploring, hmm, it's sometimes it's challenging to pay for all these meds every month. Can we talk about other alternatives and ways to not share meds maybe with a significant other, but look at maybe you can afford this at 90 days versus 30 days. So proposing some solutions rather than having a patient get mislabeled or not know what their options are. It sounds like there's a lot of relationship building there. And and you mentioned the shared decision-making and the open lines of communication. And, you know, I've read about people building relationships with their pharmacists and even their nurse practitioners. Those are people that you may not realize that there's so much value in building those kinds of relationships as well. And so to dig a little deeper into that, Dr. Barry, I was wondering how can someone's pharmacist help them examine and understand the medical costs and even the world of health insurance? You touched on this a little bit, but can we dig a little deeper into that? Absolutely. I think so to start, health insurance is, even for clinicians, it's it's tough to navigate. And I think our patients, if they saw how frustrated we were trying to get them access to certain medications, procedures, diagnostic testing, et cetera, I think they would they would respect that we're all on the same team when it comes to this. And unfortunately, with, with healthcare in the United States, it's difficult, depending on what type of insurance patients have, to always guarantee different... You know, patients know other patients or have friends with similar diseases and may wonder why sometimes someone else is getting a medication for one cost while with their insurance, it's a different cost. There's just so much to navigate when it comes to to insurances that it can be, it's just very complex. But with that said, what most institutions have besides just pharmacists is there's a a layer of pharmacy technicians and other individuals behind the scenes that are working kind of in concert with myself and then my colleagues on the team as well to make sure that, number one, patients have access to these medications so that their insurance covers them in some capacity. A lot of times insurances will require what we call a prior authorization, which is essentially a a fancy way of stating that we just need to supply the insurance with a little bit more information in terms of why we need to use this medication, and then they'll generally cover that medication at a predetermined cost. So there's that. But these folks are all also working with us in, in circumstances where medications come back. And even though insurance might be covering them, sometimes they're, they're excessively expensive to a point where just about anyone wouldn't want to pay that copay for the medication. So we have lots of uh, opportunities with our pharmacy technician teams and kind of our cost assistance folks and then the social working, social work aspect of it as well, where we can work with the drug companies, they have lots of what we call copay cards. So depending on what type of insurance you have, you may be eligible for a copay card that can significantly reduce the cost of medications, either on a monthly or every 90-day schedule. And then those copay cards can usually be renewed on an annual basis. So that can help quite a bit. A lot of times there are free trial cards that we can use initially to get patients on medications while we're kind of working on things in the background and securing ample access to that medication for the patient. 
as we were talking a little bit about in the last question, there's also going to be assistance programs at most institutions. They'll have funds that are set aside to help patients, whether they're specifically different funds for different sorts of patients. So we'll have transplant funds. We have funds for just our heart failure patients and kind of runs the gamut, at least here locally. And I'm sure Midget Duke has something similar and a lot of other big institutions will have very similar programs. So there's that. And that really, that's where we we really rely on our, our social work colleagues to help us kind of navigate those waters because they're oftentimes kind of abreast of some of these other programs that the rest of us maybe don't run into on a daily basis. And the other reason the, our social workers are so important is because they're oftentimes the ones that are helping us guarantee insurance access for patients as well, because there are a significant amount of patients that we will see that don't have insurance at all. So early connections with the social worker help to ensure access to either Medicaid or other state or local forms of of insurance um, that we can use too. So besides that, as a patient, there are also other things you can do individually. I think GoodRx is a program or an app that a lot of people have become more familiar with. Uh, Got ads on television and you probably get ads on the internet from time to time. But in case of, you know, running into a very high cost medication, sometimes GoodRx We'll be able to supply coupons for specific pharmacies that drop the prices of those medications significantly. So that's another thing to think about as well. But really, I just want our patients to know that we're all working kind of in the background to make sure that we're bringing those those costs, no matter how much someone makes, down as far as we can to make them more affordable and accessible for them ultimately. That's fantastic. Turning it over to you, Dr. Bowers, are there any other outside resources that you know of that can help patients navigate the world of costs of care and health insurance? So I think we've mentioned quite a few thus far. I mean, GoodRx is definitely uh, top of the hip parade. NeedyMeds.com is another. It's N-E-E-D-Y-M-E-D-S, all one word, dot com is another site that patients have had success with. But I think in addition to medications, you know, we look at scales and blood pressure cups and things like that, that patients want to have so they can provide self-care and be more responsible and responsive and engage with their providers. So looking at community-based programs, I think Dr. Barry just mentioned community-based resources, but I think sometimes local religious organizations or even state-based insurers, like there are programs in North Carolina, I just found out through Medicaid, where I can get a free scale or a blood pressure cuff for my patients. So I was thrilled about that. Also looking at other assistance programs beyond just medications and equipment are things for those long-term patients. I think Dr. Barry is very familiar with those folks who maybe are post-transplant and they're from out of town and maybe they have a prolonged hospitalization. So looking at programs that are available to help support lodging and parking and things like that, because our patients do come in and out of the hospital more often and sometimes come from great distances to academic centers that have more resources. So those are just a few of my thoughts. In addition to those, are there any cost-effective or even free things that a patient can be doing they can incorporate into their treatment plans that maybe can help them stay healthier or even prevent future costs? And maybe we'll start with you, Dr. Barry. Yeah, so I think I'll come at it from the, the pharmacist mindset. I think the biggest thing that we see 
oftentimes is there's a, there can be a large pill burden in our patients with heart failure. And a lot of times that's due to the fact that these patients oftentimes have multiple comorbidities. So they may have diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and so forth. So from our standpoint, the, the big thing I try to work with patients is staying on track with medications and adherence. And we've obviously talked about, and I see it in practice all the time, where cost is an issue, trying to pick what medication should I get at the pharmacy because I can only afford this or that. And we never want that to be a decision a patient has to make. And we're always going to work with our patients to make sure that we can we can figure that out. And really the biggest thing that I would add to that is, is ask as a patient, you know, always ask if you're ever questioning the cost of something or it seems like too much or it's, you know, become unburdensome, then just simply ask. And, and we're always going to work the best that we can to, to make sure that we make everything as accessible as possible for every patient. And, you know, we recognize everyone's in a unique situation and we want to make sure that our patients are, are taken care of. But kind of going back and, and not getting too tangential there, I think there's a lot of great apps, phone apps that you can use for, for medication adherence or reminders for medications, especially if you're a person that forgets often, which is very understandable when you're taking medications two or three or sometimes even four times a day. And then from that standpoint, too, we usually recommend patients use some sort of a pill tray or pill box or work with a pharmacy that prepackages medications. The only downside to prepackaged medications is, again, oftentimes heart failure patients or medications are, are being adjusted very frequently, especially diuretics and so forth. So you always run the risk of there having to be a lot of different modifications that would then then cause the pharmacy to have to repackage things pretty frequently. So something to think about, or, you know, even if you're kind of packing your own medications and pill trays and so forth, potentially leaving out any medications that you've noticed you're having to titrate more frequently, or the doses is changing more frequently just to, to save yourself some time and confusion there. But I really think the biggest thing I focus on is adherence with patients beyond cost and understanding that, that patients kind of understand what, what medications are being used for. But beyond that, that's probably all I have from just the pharmacist mindset. There's a lot of other great applications out there. HFSA through the Storylines app and other other applications. There's a lot of just awesome education resources for patients that help help them better understand exactly what they're going through and what they're dealing with and kind of creating a community around that. And I think there's a lot of great just online communities as well where patients can share stories and experiences with one another. Um, I think oftentimes the kind of a great healer is just finding a community to surround yourself with and having that sounding board or a group of people to talk to other than just a spouse or relatives or, or household contacts as well, just a group of people that kind of really understand what you're dealing with. Well, that's definitely a lot of good advice in there. And um, Dr. Bowers, how about from a, a nurse practitioner perspective? Is there anything, I know we've covered a lot, but is there anything else you would add in there of cost-effective or free things that a patient can incorporate into their plan to stay healthier or, or maybe drive down costs? Sure. I think one of the things that I think of is free, free, free is moving more. And it's easy to say, join a gym or do this exercise, but even within your home, whatever space that is, we know that exercise and moving is good for patients with heart failure. So that's free if you do it in your home or apartment or senior living community, inside, outside, wherever you live for five minutes at a time. You don't have to be a fitness guru to move more. So that's one thing. The other thing is make changes slowly. 
negotiate with your provider to, I'm going to cut down on my cigarette smoking. Maybe it's only one cigarette a day, or I'm going to set a goal to eat low salt foods three days in a row, right? Instead of trying to make big changes, try to make incremental changes. And I love that Ted mentioned community. Find the people on the community. Is it friends that you're going to text regularly? Or is it a virtual community? Or is it a neighborhood community? But find people who can support you in keeping yourself well and feeling better, living longer, and staying out of the hospital. That's a really good note to end on. And you've both given such great information here today. And before we wrap things up, I want to ask you both if there's anything we've missed or anything either of you would like to add for our patient listeners. I would just say, uh, again, just always ask, you know, just never hesitate to ask anyone on the, on the team questions, whether it's related to medications, procedures, or whatnot. There should always be an answer on the other side for the patient. So if you're ever, ever curious about something, anything, just, just please ask. I agree. Great. So it sounds like the big takeaways are find community, build relationship, and always ask those questions that you may have in your head. And with that, Dr. Barry and Dr. Bowers, I want to thank you both so much for being with us on the show today. It was really great having you. Thanks again, Thanks, Laura. And I invite all of our listeners to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. And to find more resources related to heart failure treatment and care, visit the Heart Failure Society of America's website at hfsa.org. And of course, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To all the listeners of the Heart Failure Beat Healthy Living, thanks for joining us and have a great day. Mm-hmm.